Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Yes, indeed. Uh, news conference was bizarre from the very beginning. First of all, note this, right? Usually the format is, and I've been around many, many of these uh, at the White House, the head of state arrives, little ceremony at this, on the South Portico or, or the North Portico, uh, and then they go into the cabinet room usually or maybe the Oval Office. Might be a photo op there with the reporters, and then they sit down and they talk, and they talk business, and they talk issues, and they have the Secretary of State or the other foreign minister with them. And then maybe they have a working lunch. And then they come into the East Room of the White House and they hold a news conference because up until that point, they've talked about the issues. They kind of know where they're going. Uh, and um, they know what they might be asked about at the news conference. No, no, no. Not the way it worked yesterday with Donald Trump. Uh, you saw it. It was all on national television. B.B. Netanyahu and his wife Sarah arrive at the south on the at the south portico. Met by the president and the first lady, they walk inside and they walk right upstairs to the east room, right out of the car, right to the podium. They haven't talked beans. They haven't talked any issues. They haven't done any preparation. And they go right to the two microphones in front of the uh, international press corps. You know a disaster is coming, and that's exactly what happened. So they give their opening remarks, which, you know, is sort of like, oh, get a hotel room. Jesus, right? I mean, the two of them, Bibi Netanyahu, couldn't wait, without mentioning him by name, but couldn't wait to dump all over President Obama, saying, now things are going to be different. Now we're going to... He did say... Now we know we're going to have a stronger relationship than we did with the previous administration. You know, screw him as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he got nothing but good treatment, fair treatment from President Obama. But at any rate, and then basically Donald Trump said, you know, we're here because whatever Israel wants, we will give them, which proved to be true. And then the president called on uh, there were, as always, two questions, two reporters from the United States, two from, um, in this case, from Israel. Uh, the first, Donald Trump, this is the third time he's had a news conference with a foreign leader. Uh, this is the third time that the only people called on were right-wing journalists who never would have been called on under Bill Clinton or George W. Bush or Barack Obama. They are going out of the way to get people they know will not ask tough questions. And sure enough, President Trump asked, said in his first question yesterday, 
to the Christian Broadcasting Network. Okay, you're tired of fake news? Let's go to Pat Robertson's television network, right? Yeah, let's go to the one that has the most credibility in this country. Pat Robertson, give me a break. At any rate, so this guy, they, they sort of tripped up a little bit in this sense that the question was pretty lame. The question basically was, now that with the resignation of Michael Flynn, is this going to make it any more difficult for the two of you to get together and make a peace deal, right? So Flynn was only sort of kind of uh, a little sideline to the to the thrust of his question, which was just a dumb question. But that's where it's at. So Donald Trump picked it up right away on Michael Flynn. Now, let's set the context here, right? Come on, we've all been talking about this. We know what's going on. On Monday, we were told that Michael Flynn thought he was a distraction. He'd become a distraction to the whole operation. And so he had decided for the good of everybody, for the good of the party, for the good of the country, for the good of Donald Trump, that he would just simply get out of the way and resign. That was Monday. Tuesday, the press briefing, which I attended, Sean Spicer tells us, "Uh uh-uh, that wasn't what happened. Donald Trump fired him. He fired him because he couldn't trust him anymore. We played all those clips yesterday. He had lost confidence in Michael Flynn. He lied to the vice president. He lied to the press secretary. He lied to the Washington Post. And Donald Trump said, you know, I can't trust him anymore. I don't want him around me. Hey, Michael Flynn, get out of here. Give me your letter of resignation and get out the door. That's what we were told on Tuesday. Yesterday at the news conference, Donald Trump is asked about Michael Flynn. And you would think he would say, you know, um, I thought I could trust him and I found out that I couldn't. No. Instead, he goes out and praises Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, General Flynn, is a wonderful man. I think he's been treated very, very unfairly by the media. What? Um, what? As I call it, the fake media in many cases. Oh, oh. so there he's go. And, and the fake media, by the way, which he elaborated, Telling again about um, how proud he was that he had won so many electoral votes and what a great campaign he ran and what a great victory he had. And the media was just attacking Michael Flynn unfairly in order to cover up all the mistakes that Hillary made during his campaign, during her campaign. I mean, absolutely, totally. I mean, talk about fake news. It's It's hard to come up with words for how off the wall that is and how wrong that is and how totally without any evidence at all. Michael, the media didn't bring down Michael Flynn. If anything, Michael Flynn brought down himself and Donald Trump fired him. At least that's what we were told. So it's not just the media, of course, that brought down Michael Flynn, according according to Donald Trump. It's the leaks from the intelligence agencies. From intelligence, Papers are being leaked. Things are being leaked. It's criminal action, criminal act. And it's been going on for a long time before me. But now it's really going on. No, no, no. Nice try, Donald Trump. You can't get away with that. You can't get away with here's Now here's what we know again. His national security advisor is trying to make a deal with the Russians. We have the transcript of the phone calls. And by the way, Michael Flynn's supposed to be so smart. 
He was head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. He knows, he's got to know, that any phone calls with a Russian ambassador, NSA is listening in, and NSA is keeping track of them. He's got to know that. So he makes this call, the Russian ambassador, and then followed up by several other calls. We know this now. We're basically saying, hey, with these new sanctions that Obama's going to put on, because this is before January 20, don't raise hell, don't do a lot about it, we'll take care of you once we get in. You know, you got a better deal coming, so just keep your, keep your cool. And, of course, Vladimir Putin said he was not going to respond to the sanctions, just like Michael Flynn had advised, and then Donald Trump said, you know about that Putin, I knew he was a smart man. It was all, the fix was in, right? So we know those conversations took place. We know yesterday that the Trump campaign, all during the campaign and during the transition, there were several people, Paul Manafort and others, who were in touch with Russian officials, including Russian intelligence officials. So we know all of that. And when it comes out that Michael Flynn had lied to Mike Pence about it, of course they had to fire him. And now Donald Trump comes around and says and, and tries to blame it all on the media or blame it all on Hillary or blame it all on leaks. You know, this is getting really, really old, friends. And it, I don't think it flies anymore. And the only way to get to, get to the bottom of it, only way, is to have, as Lindsey Graham suge- suggested yesterday, if we can, Jamie, a total bipartisan joint House and Senate select committee to hold public hearings and to get to the bottom of exactly what are the connections between Donald Trump and Russia. If there are contacts between Trump officials and Russian intelligence (laughs) operatives during the campaign, we need a joint select committee in Congress to get to the bottom of it and also look at uh, Trump's business ties to Russia. Yep, this is the time to see whether Congress is going to stand up, Republicans and Democrats, and say there is such a thing as the separation of powers. And when we find out that the president's people have been making secret deals with Russia, which is not a friend of ours anymore, which is our sworn enemy, at a very time when Russia, by the way, is, think about this, think about this. Right today, Russia, Russian planes are doing these buzzing flyovers of American warships. It's happened two or three times. Right today, there's a Russian spy ship off the east coast of the United States. We don't know patrolling. We don't know doing what. Right this week, Russia has fired off a cruise missile in violation of an arms treaty that, they, that, they, that we have together, that they have with the United States. And what has Donald Trump said about any of that? Not a word. A lot of people are uh, uh, looking at Donald Trump saying, what can we do? How can we survive? Uh, How can we, under our democratic society, maybe even get rid of him? Uh, Here are two guys who've got some ideas on this. The The heads of free speech for people. All right, let's see. Co-founder and president, John Boniface. Hello, John. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. And legal director for Free Speech for the People, Ron Fine. Good morning. All right. So what are you up to? What's going on? You're you're just stirring it up and raising hell. John. Well, moments after the inauguration on January 20th, 
Free Speech for People joined with Roots Action to launch ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org, a campaign to seek an impeachment investigation in the United States Congress based on the serious and direct violations that the president is now committing of the Foreign Emoluments Clause and the Domestic Emoluments Clause. Mm. Both mm -hmm. of those are the anti-corruption provisions of the Constitution that make clear that the president may not receive any payments or benefits of any kind from foreign governments, nor may he receive any payments or benefits of any kind from the federal government or state government, state governments around the country other than his salary. This president has refused to divest fully from his business interests all over the world. He's in direct violation of those anti-corruption clauses. And he must, already? Already. He has 111 businesses in 18 different countries all over the world. He has How many? 111 business Jesus. interests all over, all over the world. And, you know, the fact is that this president was repeatedly warned prior to taking office that the moment he walked in, and to the Oval Office, he would be a walking, talking violation of the Constitution. Those are the words of Professor Lawrence Tribe, Harvard Law Professor, preeminent constitutional law professor in the country, as well as Norm Eisen, former chief ethics mm -hmm. counsel for mm -hmm. President Obama, Richard Pamer, former chief ethics counsel for President Bush. They all repeatedly warned, along with other scholars, that the president needed to fully divest. He refused to do so. He's defying the rule of law, and he ought to face this impeachment investigation now. Ron, um, isn't it, as some people say, like maybe too early to start talking impeachment? I mean, we're only a month into the Trump administration. Well, there are certainly some people who have said that. But as John pointed out, he had 10 weeks in order to remedy these problems. And, and he was warned that if he didn't sell off his businesses before taking office, he'd be in violation immediately. And in terms of whether these violations are grounds for impeachment, it's important to know that not every single violation of the Constitution necessarily needs to result in impeachment. Right. But these are examples that do. And one of the ways we know that is that this issue actually came up during the uh, debates about the Constitution itself. One of the founding fathers, a guy named Edmund Jennings Randolph, in the Virginia uh, ratifying convention was challenged by George Mason, who was not in favor, uh, who was worried about the power of the presidency and said, you know, what if he's getting paid off by foreign powers? And Edmund Jennings Randolph answered, if discovered, he may be impeached. And that's the situation we're in now. So does that mean, just to try to translate interview in terms, that every t business transaction at any Trump property anywhere in the world, he's making money on it? He personally is making money on it. His company is making money, and it derives to him ultimately. I mean, he, I mean, he has he owns what seventy percent of his businesses. Yes, or? and he and you know the fact is is that despite his operational switch, where he said his two eldest sons would now run the company, he still maintains those ownership interests. Right. It puts him in direct conflict with foreign policy, of the United States, and with domestic policy, and and we have to as a nation recognize that our president should be serving the people of the United States, not his bottom line business interests. He is treating the presidency like a profit-making enterprise for himself and is totally in violation of the public trust and the Constitution. All right. So you started, you said you, you launched this um, petition, right? We launched this campaign. And it's more than campaign, a petition, but we do have over 850,000 people that from all over the country who have now joined and signed on. We're delivering those initial petitions to Congress today, and we intend to build this beyond uh, you know, what we're doing today. This is going to be a campaign 
to bring forward people from all over the country, from all across the political spectrum to say we need to have a president who is not above the law. No one is above the law, no matter how powerful he or she may be, and that includes the president of the United States. Uh, tell me the uh, website again. ImpeachDonaldTrumpNow.org. We have our grounds for impeachment there. We have resources. We have a whole campaign around this along with Roots Action, and we're inviting Americans from all across the country to join us. Well, Ron, in our lifetime, we have seen uh, uh, another set of impeachment hearings, <laughs> uh, undeserved, I think, but uh, if most of us believe, but um, and unsuccessful ultimately. What is what is the process? I mean, you're delivering these signatures today. It's going to take more than that to launch hearings. What has to happen? That's right. So, what the next step will need to be is a grassroots advocacy, congressional district by congressional district, in order for people to. Uh, let their representatives in the House of Representatives know that they support this because an impeachment investigation would begin in the House of Representatives. There would be an investigation in the House Judiciary Committee. And then ultimately, if the Judiciary Committee recommends articles of impeachment, they would have to be voted on by the full House of Representatives. And then in order for him to be convicted, it would yeah. require a two-thirds vote of the Senate. It's also important to note, though— But just getting a process started yeah. means you have to have enough votes in the House. That's right. So, we, you know, the, the first stage of the campaign was, uh, you know, gathering th these initial sets of names and signatures. And now we're moving on to the next stage of the campaign, which is going to be— Hard work, obviously, the, the level of grassroots democracy of people in town halls and on the phones talking to their representatives and, and letting them know. And when, once we have a bill that's actually introduced into the House, then it will become a question for every representative of, are you supporting this bill? And if so, why not? Or if and, not, why not? And Bill, I, I would just add, you know, we're living in unprecedented times. There were many people all over the country who did not believe that Donald Trump would become the nominee of the Republican Party to be president of the United States. And then when he became the nominee, there were many people who claimed that he would never become president of the United States. We are living in unprecedented times. I do not think that it is impossible to see how Republicans, when they're looking down the road at 2018 and figuring out how this is going to impact their own reelection chances, whether they are going to continue to stand with a president who's so defying the rule of law. What we're asking for is quite modest in our view. It's an impeachment investigation. It's an investigation as to whether or not the president is committing impeachable offenses. And that ought to be proceeding forward on a bipartisan manner. And we think there will be Republicans ultimately that come forward it, on that. It is encouraging, I think, that we've seen some people, uh, elected officials, already using the word impeachment. Maxine Waters has used it. Mark Pocan has used it. Both of them have joined the show. Um, but there are people who realize that this is a tool that they have to keep a president from going completely out of line. And they're not saying, oh, well, we're not, it's too early to talk about that yet. No, they, they, they know that that's something that they've got that they can use. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
Joe Sirincioni with us, president of the Plowshares Fund. So, Joe, yesterday we got our first look at Donald Trump really dealing with mm. foreign policy. What did we learn about his grasp of complicated foreign I policy I think the issues. reviews are in. He, he does not know what he's talking about. He presents this in this sort of glib talk show way. You know, one state, two state, as long as Bibi and the Palestinians are happy, I'm happy. But in so doing, he overturns decades of bipartisan uh, foreign policy position, things that have been a position that has been taken by U.S. presidents, Republicans, and Democrats for years that we favor a two-state solution. That is the only stable solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and he just tosses it aside as if he's deciding which movie to go to. Right. Uh, and again, the contrast, and I've sat through so many of these with uh, President Obama. Yes. If, if that question came to President Obama, you would get probably 15 minutes on why the two-state solution is important, and here's this side, here's this side, but here's how, why all of our presidents have agreed on this is the way to go. I want to, so that's what you'd hear from Obama. Here is, in 15 seconds, mm -hmm. uh, President Obama's, uh, President Trump. I, I, it's yeah, hard for me yeah. to put those yeah. two yeah, words together. Donald Trump's answer yesterday. So I'm looking at two-state and one-state, and I like the one that both parties like. I'm very happy with the one that both parties like. I can live with either one. I think it's very right. instructive what does that, mean? that BB is laughing at him. Yes, he's I'm laughing very at happy him. with the one that because both parties like. Because he sees what a like. fool I can live he with is. either yeah. one. Right, right. A vanilla cupcake, a chocolate cupcake, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, so here's Whatever the... Whatever you want. Right. Whatever you want. So I, just for those people who, who aren't yeah, familiar why, with this, so here's... It, why is a two-state the only way to go? Because a one-state solution is the death of the Jewish dream. So if you have, you can have one state. And I've been to Palestine. I've been to the occupied West Bank. Of course, of course. I was just there last year talking to Palestinians. A lot of young Palestinians, they don't care about having a two-state. They, they'd be happy with <coughs> the one state. But what they mean by that because is a democratic state yes, yes. where one person, one vote, where you have Palestinians right. and Jews, <coughs> Arabs and Muslims, and you have one state, one vote. But if you have one vote, there are more Palestinians than there are Jews. Exactly. And this is true about now, but the demographics are clear. In this region, yes. Israel and the West Bank, Palestinians are uh, expanding more. There are more Palestinians being born than there are Jews, despite the best efforts of the Orthodox <laughs> Jews. <Yes. laughs> and so what that means is that you would have a majority Palestinian state. You would not have a Jewish state. So you could do that. You could have a democratic one yeah. state with Jews and Palestinians. Or, and this is the fear, is that what you have is an apartheid state that it's one state, but all the Palestinians are second-class citizens. They don't get to vote the same way. They don't have the same rights. That it's a Jewish one state, and that is South Africa. And that's what you're looking at. And that's why Jewish leaders all over the country are appalled by this suggestion. I mean, either you give up the dream of a Jewish state or you give up the dream of a democratic state. You can't do both. And Trump has no, <clears throat> I totally clueless on that point. It, it, he didn't, certainly didn't seem to express that. And even worse, he doesn't seem to have a plan. He wants, he's, let's go make a deal, he says. We're going to go talk yeah. about this. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have a plan. Netanyahu has avoided talking about this his entire uh, tenure as president. He doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, he, uh, 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 you might say the one glimmer of hope here is that Trump says, let's stop the expansion. Let's stop the expansion for yeah, a bit. But yes, even, 
but even but that. Yeah, let's listen to that because <clears throat> even there, he wasn't that strong. I mean, uh, Jamie, here, so he's asked about the settlements. He said, yeah, kind of nice of you. Oh, here, here he is. As far as settlements, I'd like to see you hold back on settlements for a little bit. Uh, we'll uh, work something out, but I would like to see a deal be made. I think a deal will be made. Sounds yeah. like Jerry Seinfeld. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. but so he's not saying, no, the settlements are a problem, right? This is, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Just, until we, then we'll work out a deal. And then, you know, and all the who says, well, well, we'll try. And if he had someone capable who's actually going to work on this, you might feel, okay, now he's just schmoozing. That's yeah, his job. Yeah. And some senior diplomat, experienced person in the Middle East. But no, who's in charge of Middle East peace? His son-in-law. His son-in-law. Jared right. Kushner, a guy nobody knew uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, well, Bibi knew him when he was a little boy. Uh, yeah, that's he right. He said B- yesterday. That's right. Bibi knew him. That's true. That's true. Bibi knew him. So there's no plan. The State Department, does the State Department have a plan? No, because there's nobody at home with the State Department because Trump hasn't filled any of the sub-cabinet positions. There's no deputy uh, secretary, no undersecretary. There's no uh, working assistant secretaries. You know, so this whole administration is home alone. There's so a few mean, people at the White House, and the rest of the thing hasn't been staffed out. It's one of the things that worries people so, so much. So you mean turning over our government to a bunch of white nationalist bloggers was a bad idea? <laughs> as it turns How's out. How's that turning out? Not, uh, not great? Yeah, as it turns out. But oh you really do God. need experienced people know what they're talking about. So what that means what? for the Middle East, especially in the, in the Israeli-Palestine issue, is just, is just more continued drift. Uh, and that drift eventually leads to conflict. So that's that's the prognosis for the Middle East for this year. One of the things that struck me about Netanyahu's comments, and by the way, as you saw, he, unlike Donald Trump, came prepared. He had all those talking points. Well, and when he was asked about the two-state thing, and he yeah. said, let's get beyond the labels, here's here's what's wrong with the Palestinians, here's, you know, and he just read that whole gen- And then he said... You know, they call us Jews for a reason. People don't understand. Why are we called Jews? We're Jews. We're Jews. Why do they call us Jews? We're Jews because we come from Judea. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say, why do they call them Palestinians? Yes. Because yes. they come from Palestine. Yes. Yes. What an audacious thing to say. Yes. Well, BB is very good, very accomplished, obviously. Look how yeah. he survived in the sure. atmosphere. However, um, how long he will survive is an open question. What you saw yesterday was too crippled presidents up on the stage. People may not know that it's, it's, a, it's probably a matter of days before Bibi Netanyahu is indicted. He's been under investigation now for months. He's been in, 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 interrogated by the police for on charges of, um, of fraud and, and bribery and uh, accepting illegal gifts. And I, actually, some thought he was going to be indicted before he came. Looks like they're holding off until he comes back. But this is a crippled uh, uh, president that's talking with our crippled president. The question question among the uh, press corps yesterday was which one will be impeached first? Oh, yeah. Uh, B.B. or Donald Trump. Right. right. And that word, impeachment, I mean, this is something that you're starting to hear uh, just last week. And, and, and some some in columns and some in quiet talk in, among, among senators. Not we're going right. to do it, but could this happen? What would the grounds be? What would the, what would the implications be? You're starting to hear that because of the, the well, demonstrated incompetence of this administration. We've heard it from two members of Congress on our show oh, in, really? the last, in the last week. And really? we heard it, just heard it from the leaders of Free Speech for People who are delivering this petition today signed by over 800,000 uh-huh. Americans so far 
uh, delivering that to Congress today to try to, to try to get the ball rolling. Now, this all happens in the <coughs> context of and right on the on, on, on the uh, just following all this controversy over Michael Flynn yes. and the contacts with well. Russia. So, first of all, what I mean, what what are the implications again for American foreign policy that mm -hmm. we do know that Michael Flynn had these conversations about sanctions with the yes. with the Russian investor, and we do know, as reported yesterday in the New York Times and the Washington Post, that there were multiple contacts between the Trump campaign, the yes. Trump transition, and Russian officials, including Russian intelligence yes. officials. You know, what does it say about this administration that 48 hours ago we had the fastest resignation of a senior official in U.S. history, and it's not even the top story today? You know, it's, yeah, so, right. It's, so, but, but it is the biggest story because of the implications, because Flynn is just the tip Right. So it's not just, OK, now you've you've cauterized the wound. You've got him out. No, yeah, no. Right. Now you're looking at testimony from him. What, what was he saying to the Russians? Um, wh how long did he have this contact? What about all? And of course, the, the, the blockbuster story from The New York Times that Trump campaign officials had ongoing contact, regular contact with Russian intelligence officials all during the campaign. Right. What does that mean? What were they talking? Was there collusion? Was there coordination? Uh, and and it, what and what and what does Russia have over Trump? What is going on here? So yeah. this is just this is not going away. <coughs> it's going to get bigger. There's there's calls for and in fact plans for congressional investigations on multiple levels. So this this is going to this may be the issue that topples the Trump presidency. Let, let me ask you a question because the the reaction from Trump and his administration on the ah, Russia yes. stuff is not even to deflect it's just well we should have a good relationship with russia mm -hmm. what's the danger in that when he told i mean it, 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 i mean first of all i don't think there is such a thing as a good relationship with russia right but like what's the danger in the president of the united states putting that out there that way yeah well we do want to have a good relationship with russia and that's a good idea but on whose terms right you know what are we going to have a good relation with russia and they get to take over ukraine they get to keep Crimea. Yeah. They get to, to, to continue propping up brutal dictators like Assad. What are the terms of the relationship with Russia? And that's what you fear is that Trump is weak on Russia, which, of course, puts a big rift right in the Republican Party, which has historically been the tough on national security party, tough on Russia party. And you see that uh, playing out in some of the divisions in, in, up in the Senate. Marianne Levine is a labor reporter for Politico, steps in and to join us. Hi, Marianne. Nice to see you. Hi. Thank you for having me. What brought Puzder down? I think that what brought Andrew Puzder down was a combination of factors. You had the reports um, that Politico initially reported about the allegations of abuse from his former wife, Lisa Fierstein, and her appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show in disguise to talk about those allegations. And that appearance raised questions about whether or not her retractions, both in 1990 after her appearance on the show and after shortly before his nomination, were legitimate. Right. I, I want to stop you before we get to the other reasons, because um, you are the one who um, sought those tapes and found those tapes and brought them to public light for the first time, correct? Yes, that is correct. Good for you. You know, we love to see good journalists uh, 
succeed and do their job well. Uh, and so we played earlier, here's a little clip of uh, Lisa Feirstein, is that how you pronounce right? Yes. Appearing in disguise with Oprah back in 1990. The most frightening thing was leaving because once I made that break and once I made it public and remember my ex-husband was a public figure, everyone knew him and knew what he was doing and once I made that public, he, he vowed revenge. He said, I will see you in the gutter. This will never be over. You will pay for this. Yeah, that was pretty uh, ugly stuff. And what was, where was he at the time? What was his position at the time? At the time, Mr. Putster had moved on, or he at the time was a very prominent St. Louis attorney. And um, during their divorce, he was really well known in St. Louis for um, for his position on abortion. He was a very prominent anti-abortion lawyer um, in Missouri and helped write a law in um, in the state that actually restricted access to abortion that went up to the Supreme Court. So he was quite famous. This is before his uh, fast food days? This was before his fast food days. Right. Uh, and she points out that as a successful lawyer, that he really took her to the cleaners. Here she is again. I wound up losing everything, mm -hmm. everything. I have nothing. He has a Porsche and a Mercedes-Benz. He has the home. He has everything. He was an attorney, and he knew how to play the, the, the system. Mm -hmm. I was married for 14 years. So that testimony, you believe, had an impact on, um, on the Senate? We think that the release of the tape did have an effect. There, the Senate Health she Committee. She has a giant killer. Right yeah, here. right. <laughs> Watch out! Don't cross Mary in the line. <laughs> Though the Senate, we had found out actually earlier this week that the Senate Health Committee had obtained a copy of the tape, and that they, the senators were viewing it in private. But the publication of the tape um, did have an effect we think, on his decision to withdraw. But there were other factors, too. Senators last week were also concerned about a report from the Huffington Post that he had employed an undocumented worker mm -hmm. for four to five years and that he neglected to pay taxes on those workers and on that worker. So that also added to his woes, along with other comments that he made about his own employees that CNN found. So he had a lot of other reports about him that were also damaging and it, concerning. It all sort of added up. And and certainly, and the labor unions really, obviously, this is their person on the cabinet, right, that they really into. And, they, and I think Tom Perez is the best labor secretary ever, maybe, um, although Hilda Solis was pretty good, too, very good. Um, but it wasn't just the Democrats that lined up against him, right? Republicans started speaking out. Yes, it was the Republicans. Um, last week, we reported that there were four Republicans on the Senate Help Committee who appeared undecided about his nomination, and that included Senator Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Johnny Isaacson, and and um, Tim Scott. So there mm -hmm. were all there were a few um, there were a few there appeared to be some opposition that was growing among the Republican Party. And then earlier, and then yesterday, Politico and CNN reported that there was as many as twelve senators who were potentially going to vote yeah. against his nomination. Twelve Republicans. Twelve Republicans, yes. Right, and uh, so they have fifty-two. Right, even with the four, he, unless they got Democratic votes, he wouldn't have enough votes to get through. Exactly. And not even Mike Pence could save him. Right. Exactly. So, uh, what is it that, that that stuck out to Republicans? I mean, what I mean because you look at the two people that have had the hardest time, Betsy DeVos, and and now Puzder. So, 
you could say that the unions, right? Those are two powerful unions: the teachers' union and then the the the, the labor unions. But like, what is it that got Republicans to change their mind? Um, from our understanding, part of it was the undocumented worker that he had that he neglected to pay taxes on. That was not the wife beating. But the undocumented worker, that's, I, I just want to just, I mean, that just seems. I think that that was part, I think it was a combination of both. Sure. Um, I think it was a com. I think the undocumented worker really did raise a lot of questions because to be fair, um, Lisa Fierstein has repeatedly retracted her allegations. She even wrote a letter to the Senate Help Committee explaining why she went on the show and saying that she had leveraged um, these allegations in order to, um, to gain to gain in her divorce settlement. Mm-hmm. So she had repeatedly retracted this. So it puts both Democrats and Republicans in a position of uncertainty in terms of how to go about this because on the one hand, her allegations were very serious, but on the other hand, she has retracted them. And so you want to also respect her and her statements. So it, it, I think it was a tough issue for a lot of lawmakers to decide on. Um, but with the publication of the tape, on um, Tuesday night, that I think rate, that sort of put the issue over the edge. Yeah. Well, I think it's significant that the two who have had the most difficulty among all the nominees are the two that organized labor really went out after. One, Betsy DeVos, saved only by the vice president, and Puzder, who doesn't make it at all, right? And it was mainly led by the teachers for Betsy DeVos and uh, the teachers' unions. Uh, AFT and NEA, and uh, with um, and all the unions combined, with with the labor secretary. Yeah, there yeah. was a definite movement to really try to stop him. I mean, that we there were reports that were put out about allegations of sexual harassment at his franchisee restaurants, which the business groups respond to to those allegations, saying that he's not responsible for those. For those violations, or what his managers do, or something, right? But, exactly, yeah. because they're viewed as independent small businesses. So that's a controversial topic in labor world, as you know. But there's, but those, the rate of sexual harassment at the franchisee restaurants was an issue that was brought up numerous times, and um, I think also was of concern to senators. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. You know, I've seen a lot of presidential news conferences in my years of covering politics, uh, and I've attended a dozen or more, but none of us have ever seen such a pitiful performance on the part of any president as we saw yesterday from Donald Trump. He made a total ass of himself and a total embarrassment to the United States of America. So first of all, One day after we were told that Donald Trump had lost total confidence in uh, Michael Flynn, had no confidence in him anymore, and therefore couldn't trust him, and he asked for his resignation. One day after that, at the news conference, Donald Trump calls him a wonderful man and blames the media for bringing Michael Flynn down, as if he, Donald Trump, had nothing to do with it and as if Michael Flynn had done nothing wrong. How could he stand there and utter such total bullshit in, ter- in front of the entire world. Then he's asked a serious, for- serious foreign policy question. What about the two-state solution in the Middle East? In other words, do you support the policy of the first President Bush, Bill Clinton, of uh, the second President Bush, 
of Barack Obama. Do you support the policy of the United States for the last 30 or more years? And Donald Trump's response was, ah, I don't care. One state, two state, I can go either way. Whatever you want, that's okay with me. 50 years, maybe, of American foreign policy flushed down the toilet in 15 seconds by a total idiot. Only four weeks into the Donald Trump presidency, and it's already clear, we can never survive four years of this. One way or the other, Donald Trump has to go. Can anybody spell impeachment? This is The Bill Press Show.